0: Hey there, I'm Rinda Emick, the founder of the nonprofit Presley's Purpose, where we give NICU parents some time away from the hospital to relax and de-stress by pampering them in the salon. I am also the host of Presley's Purpose podcast, where I will interview NICU families to share their journey and their best tips and tricks for surviving the NICU. Please subscribe if you haven't already, so you are the first to get our latest podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited. I'm Rinda Emick and I love that I get to bring NICU parents and NICU stories to you to give you some tips and tricks on how to survive the NICU. So I have this beautiful mama here and we met actually through the nonprofit Presley's Purpose. She was sitting in my chair and I was helping her. Sure was
1: getting a haircut.
0: (laughs) I was helping her spruce up her hair while she was in the NICU. So I actually reached out to her to interview her because I have followed her from the time that she was in the NICU. And then when, after we did her hair and pampered her in the salon, she actually stayed in the NICU for much longer. And I followed her journey on Facebook. And so it was important to me to bring her to our community and let her share her story because it is so incredibly Powerful. So we're going to dive right in. So this is my friend Kim Crane. So, Kim, go ahead and share a little bit about your background and just a little yeah. bit about who you are.
1: Perfect. So, I'm Kim Crane. I, uh, wow, where to begin? So, we found out we were pregnant. It was February of 2017. Um, we were super excited. We, it wasn't planned, it was just something that came into our lives that we really felt like I just kind of plopped in as this gift. We embraced it fully. Um, did all of our checkups, uh, the baby was healthy. And up until I think it was our 16th week ultrasound, we went in and um, sitting there, there, we were doing the Down syndrome testing to make sure the baby was healthy or whatever, and just doing the scan. And while we were in there, ultrasound tech says, Oh, you're having twins. And I was like, Aha, uh-huh, funny joke. Like that's an ultrasound tech joke. That's awesome. And he's like, uh, no, <laughs> Like you are legitimately having twins. He's like, here's baby one. Here's baby two. And I just looked at my husband, Zach, and we just jaw hit the ground. We're like, what in the world? Like immediately my world just started turning of what does it mean to have one, but what does it mean to have two? So we immediately got plugged in with um, a maternal fetal medicine doc who could really follow us closely because being pregnant with twins, you are extremely high risk. So we started following that doctor. We had gone in for a 24 week, like cardio, um, cardiogram scan for the baby's hearts while I was still pregnant. And during that scan, they found out that our placentas for the babies were really abrupted. They were getting very intermittent blood flow, um, and they were very uncomfortable with that. So they recommended immediately that I get checked into our nearby hospital um, that they had recommended with a doctor who is specialized in high risk, um, in case the babies were born early. So I mean, I just remember that day, um, leaving the ultrasound tech, trying to gather up my life for, I don't know, is it going to be a day? Is it going to be a week? Is it going to be months? I mean, I was literally 24 weeks pregnant. I'm like, what is this going to look like? And, you know, your, your heart is in your stomach and you just, you don't know what's going to happen. And um, I had some really close girlfriends at the time that I had reached out to and called and just, you know, wept on the phone with of, I don't know what this is going to be like. And um, got to just really pour out my heart and that fear gathered up all my belongings with my husband and we just trotted into the hospital, not knowing what to expect every morning at 5 a.m. The doctor would come in and do ultrasounds to make sure that the placenta wasn't completely abrupted. We had um, monitors on my belly to make sure the girl's heart rates were stable. And at any given time, if they were to drop, they said that we would need to prepare for emergency C-section. So literally, I mean, it was just second by second by second of am I gonna make it, are these girls gonna make it? Um, Where is our story going? And just being stuck in a hospital bed. Like the farthest that you could walk was to the bathroom and back. <laughs> like, you know, I got five steps a day and that was it. And um very uh just monitored. And when you're living in a hospital and I'm very much an introvert. So like to be living in a hospital and like having people coming in and out of your door, you know, like a spinning revolver it was like, okay, you know, I was exhausted. I was, I was completely you know, just at my wit's end with that. But Also, at the same time, they kept telling me, like, every day here in labor and delivery in this bed saves your babies extra days in the NICU, you know, so just keep fighting. So, yeah, I really clung to that of like, okay, every day that I'm here, I am giving more time to my babies. Um, And what was really cool during that season of waiting is that, you know, you spend a lot of time in a hospital bed. So I got to read a lot of scripture. I got to read a lot of books. I got to do a lot of soul searching um being in that bed and you know I had an idea I really wanted to name the girls Emma and Nora like those were the names that we had picked um but very clearly like I remember reading in the Psalms and David was just like lamenting about um the struggles he was going through and over and over again God kept saying mercy like my mercy is there with you every new day like and I just kept popping up and the Lord spoke to me like one of your baby like my my firstborn is meant to be named Mercy. And I was like, "Wow, that's incredible!" And along the same time, because I, I, when you're pregnant, you like you know your babies, even though you haven't seen yeah. them. You like you know their personalities and their characteristics. Yeah. And I knew that one of my babies, baby A, the number one, was very like very chill, very sweet. Like she gave room to her sister to have her dance parties and karate <laughs> kicks and everything. Like she just made way for her sister. So she was, I mean, very much like a very merciful person from the very beginning. And then Emery... Um, we, it was just as simple as looking up what a name meant for brave and powerful, because that's who she was inside my stomach. And Emery was the name that came up and immediately my husband and I fell in love with it. So we had Mercy Lynn and Emery Joy picked up in the very beginning. I mean, literally, probably like the day before they were, we went into emergency C-section, like God gave me their names, which was pretty incredible.
0: Isn't it like, it's just so interesting how you can have this this, what you think is perfect in normal pregnancy for the first four months or 16 weeks, you know, and then you go in and things, things kind of change. And it's like, we always have to learn to be flexible. Right. But it's like something changes. And then all of a sudden, just what a, um, a little over a month or two months later, then your whole world changes. And this is a lot of what we, what we experience and what we hear in the NICU. And so, so I love that you shared that because, you know, not, all, it's not always like for my pregnancy, it was the whole thing was normal and perfect and what we could, thought was healthy and everything. So it's just interesting how there's so many different avenues to lead you there. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about, so now you're in the hospital bed. So when did you right. actually deliver?
1: Yeah. So we checked into the hospital um, the night that I turned 24 weeks it was a full week, because um, it, was, it was a little bit, actually, more than a week. It was 25 and five, um, which is 25 weeks, five days. Um, I, things have been going really well. All the nurses were really hopeful for us that we were going to be able to go full term. Um, I had fallen asleep in bed and was taking, like, an afternoon nap, and I just remember this flood of people running into my room. And here I am, totally incoherent, because I just woke up from a nap. Everybody, you know, is yelling to each other to grab certain medications, to grab the oxygen. You know, they're ripping my clothes off of me, like they're throwing me in a gown. And all along, I'm like, what is happening? Like, just what is going on? And they said, their baby's heart rates are dropping and they're not coming back up. And this is what we prepped for. You're going to be going into an emergency C-section. And I mean, I, in that moment have never felt such fear. Like, I mean, I felt like I was out of my body watching the room as they were, you know, putting the oxygen mask over me, prepping me, getting me all ready to roll. And by the grace of God, their heart rates like came up because here I am. I'm like, Zach doesn't know, like my family doesn't know, like I'm going into a surge, like a surgery. And I'm by myself, you know, and I'm terrified. Like, what if I don't make it? What if the girls don't make it? Like, someone get a hold of my husband. <laughs> so by miracle of God, literally, I was praying and the girls' heart rates came back up. And they said, okay, like, you are all prepped. You are ready to go. We're going to call your husband. We're going to bring him down because it's more than likely we're still going to have to take you back. But it won't be just like in this chaos of a moment. So that started at like 3 p.m. And. Um, that I was like fully prepped, they called Zach and he flew down from work and he got there. My mom had just left the hospital a couple, maybe an hour before because she had visited me and she flew back around. And um, thankfully, I was able to have a room of support um, when the baby's heart rates did drop again and they checked me back for the surgery. Um, I fought and fought and fought. Most families and most mothers when they're in an emergency case scenario for a C-section, like they have to be put under, but because I was already prepped and ready and I advocated, I said, I need to be a lot, like I need to be awake and aware when these girls are born, because if they die, like I need to hear their cries. I need to be able to see them alive. Like I need that. Yeah. And um, so they took me back into the surgery room and started prepping me with my epidural. Um, and which was really amazing because not only was my doctor um, specialized in like high intensive um, scenarios with these kinds of deliveries being early but his wife is also a midwife who worked alongside mothers who um, were able to go to term but she knew me and she came in as like emotional support so I technically had a midwife during my cesarean which was really, really cool. Let me tell you, I mean, I am a very private person, but I've never hugged someone tighter during that epidural. You know, she just coached me and talked to me. And um, yeah, I was so thankful for just like her presence because she was very calming and they were Christians, which is amazing. So they had put on Christian music. And I just remember being in the uh, ER and hearing like, just the name of Christ, like, blaring in my ears, like, as this was going on, and that really gave me peace. The moment that the girls were born, um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but the song Prince of Peace by Hillsong, it's all talking about the darkness of night and how Jesus is there um, walking us through, like, the moments of, like, deepest pain. It was, like, the most beautiful song, and the fact that, like, my girls were born to it, and, like, I just, it was, like, our anthem, like, going into this new season of just, like, his peace. Darkness. Um, so at 11:30 1130 and 11:31, Mercy and Emery were born into the world. Uh, Mercy cried her lungs out. I mean, she was so powerful and strong, and I got to hear that, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. They were very quick to sweep her off to the Nikki though, because she was very, very tiny. She was only a pound. Um, and then when Emery came, I did not get to hear her cry, and later, I, I, but I didn't think much of it. I just thought that they had took and, like, took her really quickly. I'd asked Zach, is she okay? And he said, yes, she's okay. So that gave me some peace. But later on having conversations, I said, was she really okay? Because I could tell. And he was like, she was born really gray. And I didn't know if she was Mm -hmm. alive. But I didn't want you in that moment with them taking her out of the room for you to like lose your crap, you know? And like, yeah, so it was, wow. So then girls were born. They were taken to the NICU. They take you to post-op. And, uh, I sat there in the bed and I just remember it was really bizarre because I should have been terrified, but I just remembered this piece of like, God speaking to me, like everybody's going to be okay. Like I I have you, I have them. And from, you know, the second I was back there, I was just asking, like, can I see them? Can I see them? Can I see them? But it took them some time to stabilize them. Um, they were born at 12, I'm um, sorry, 1130 and 1131. I wasn't able to see them till almost four o'clock in the morning after oh. they got them stable. So yeah built we back there post-op after surgery and got to meet my girls for the first time and it was a beautiful and yet like terrifying experience because there are humans that i've created and they are so formed and like they have noses and they have fingers and they have perfectly formed foreheads and like but yet they're stuffed full of tubes and wires and like, I had never experienced, I had never even known what a Nikki was up until that experience. I had tried, I had tried, like, when I was pregnant and sitting in that hospital bed, I told them, I was like, can I at least just see it? Like, I want, like, I'm such a control freak. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to know what I'm going into. Yeah. Because i I don't like I'm tr- I'm like trying to imagine this room that they're talking me about full of wires and you know alarms and I just didn't know what to expect. so actually fully entering into that room and seeing it, it's just unlike anything you've ever seen.
0: You Do know, you think you... That you were at all prepared?
1: No, no, not at all. no i I really wasn't and especially not just going in for one baby, but having the extreme attachment and fight for two babies. Like, and what broke my heart was that the girls, you know, they had always been together, but because of how sick and how, um, medically fragile they were, like they had to keep them in separate pods. So they weren't even remotely near each other, which just broke my heart because I know that they, they felt that they felt that disconnect and it made it that much harder for them to fight because they had only known each other.
0: So Kim, at this point, because I know a little bit more about your story, and I know that yeah. we'll probably uncover some of this, but at this yeah. point, what state and what are you in? Because I know that you've had to move. So.
1: so at this point in time, we are living in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, both me and my husband had been born and raised in Arizona. Um, so we had gone to like our downtown hospital. Um, the hospital's name is St. Joe's. So that was... Um, that was the beginning of our journey we delivered in phoenix arizona
0: yeah crazy yeah so so then now walk us through a little bit of your nicu journey um and yeah. you know again just feel free it, it's it's a very it's a different world and like you said yeah. if you didn't know anything about it i knew nothing i didn't even know like the nicu was a thing i just didn't know anything about it in my babies my- are
1: born healthy always right
0: <laughs> so and that's just the perspective that i had too and yeah. So feel free, you know, to walk us through your journey. Share your heart with us. Be real and raw you know, because it's again it's just this world that there could be a mom listening to us right now who's sitting in those shoes and feeling everything that oh you're that you're going to share and, and, and knowing that there's people out there that have experienced it. And, you know, maybe there's more than the 30 or 50 babies that are in that NICU with you, that it's worldwide that people are going through this journey too. So, um, so go ahead and share with us that NICU journey now that the babies are, and you're walking into this unknown world. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So at
1: the very beginning, you know, I think you're going through the emotions of postpartum. Like I remember biting into a cheeseburger in my, you know, um, labor and delivery room after the girls had been born and just sobbing because I'm like, I'm eating food and it's not feeding them. Like if it was like the first realization of like, I'm not their protector anymore. Like I, this is happening to them. And before it was happening to me out of protection for them. And it just, Man, that was hard. And then, you know, even though I was still in the hospital, the, the reality, cause I had to have brothers and sisters that were a lot younger than me. So I was able to see my mom go through, you know, having a baby healthily and having the baby there in the room and you're learning to nurse and all of these things, just that pain of, I have to walk down a hallway to get to my kids. Tell the front receptionist a code to get back to my children. Like, it's just so unnatural. Um, so immediately, even though I was in the hospital, I just felt that they 're not with me like they 're not with me and they 're too far, but yet, like the stamina of healing post surgery of like i can 't stand next to their isolates all day, even though everything in my being wants to do that um, so that was the very beginning and learning to trust nurses that take care of your children, and then you have the dynamic of maybe a nurse rubs you the wrong way, so you don 't trust them, but they 're your kids you know, and just having to advocate right away of this isn't working, I need somebody else that I can communicate with and having doctors that are just very um, focused on logistics and studies. And I mean, from the very beginning, they were telling us like, your babies are very sick, and you need to have the expectation you may lose them. So I'm fighting this urge of, I just gave birth and gave life, you know, to my children, but yet, in the same sweep I'm grieving that I might have to then have a funeral for them. Like, how do you do that? How do you parent and prepare? And it's just, it's just this, this tug of war fight. And you're dealing with the very beginning when they're so little at 25 weeks, you know, the possible risk of infections, you know, them not tolerating feeds, I'm trying to pump my breast milk and not making enough for them because it's so early. Goodness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ner- Let's just, I mean, pumping and breastfeeding and the NICU is like a whole podcast. I mean, like on its own, you know, it's, it's incredible. So, so they're, so they're born at 25 weeks. Yes. Do they in an expectation like you're going to be here till they're, they're, at this point they're telling you they're yeah. very sick. Are they telling you you're going to be here for four months or until their due date or beyond? What's the expectation look like yeah. right now?
1: Yeah. So at that point in time, the doctors were saying, you know, you need to always be prepared for worst case scenario that they may not make it through this, but also at the same time, it is very common for 25 weekers to stay here at least up until their due date. So my girls, their due date was October 27th. They were born July 19th. So that is a good three or four month stay that we're anticipating. And that is, you know, a very common scenario that they lay before you. with 25-weekers, and I had known other parents there in the NICU with twins, and very similar situations that their babies were healthy and going home, you know, they had just hit that, um, that mark of their due date, so it gave me some hope of like, okay, we're going in the right direction, but it became very clear very quickly that my girls were very, very, very sick what the expectation was for them to be able to come off of the ventilator or be able to come down off of support or you know be able to tolerate feeds i mean my girls were on oscillators i mean the worst of the worst of ventilators emory was on an oscillator for 75 days and mercy was on it for 58 days so i mean that is a good three and a half months so it was just very clear that like our trajectory was very different but i did not see any other families in the NICU itself that matched that story so I was really at a loss for what to expect and so it really was the community online through Facebook groups and reaching out to other mamas just sharing our experience that I finally got some rallying of like hey we've been there you know and that really helped me push through Of like okay we're still going forward. Um, How long were you in the NICU in Arizona? Yeah so we were in the NICU in Arizona I want to say Oh my goodness. The girls were born in July. Um, Emery was transferred to a second hospital a few months later and I, would, I would want to say it was October. So they were, I want to say they were in Arizona for about eight months, but Mercy's story was completely different because Mercy out of the two girls was much stronger and we had better expectations for like her life expect expectancy. Um, It was the night before Labor Day. I had tucked her in for bed and, you know, had done my cares with the girls and had gone home um, to try and get some sleep. And we had gotten a call at 3 a.m. in the morning from the PA saying, you need to get down here immediately. Like, Mercy is not doing well. Like, we can't keep her ventilated. Um, She is, we're, we're getting positive feedback that she might have an infection, but she's just not doing well. Like, you need to come down here. So we got down there and the baby I had tucked in was completely different when i arrived there at 3am her co2 levels were well over 170s which is ridiculous Mm -hmm. she was just bloated and in pain um so for 24 hours they had told us that she was going to die um so for 24 hours we just zach and i took turns you know standing around her isolate cheering her on and just praying for her and weeping for her and just it was such a sudden turn. Like we were okay. Like we were doing great. And then all of a sudden we just weren't and there was nothing we could do to fight it. Um, we got the word that she had gotten a staph infection through her pig um, which had just like ravaged her organs. So her kidneys started shutting down her lungs were filled with pneumonia and, um, we had thought we were going to lose her a lot earlier on in that journey. So that was, you know, I think at 30 something days that we got that call, she was 30 something days old. And uh, we started fighting alongside her and just begging God for like her life and contending for her. And we were given 11 more days with her. Um, from that first call, I was able to do 11 days of comfort care, like of just literally holding her around the clock. And they had told me, um, that the risk of me picking up my child was a risk that I could lose her like it was just the most unnatural feeling of holding my child could kill her like how like how do you get in that place and how do you function I just I remember living in a cloud like my head I had no thoughts I was just putting one foot in front of the other. I don't even know if I ate, like I'm sure Zach shoved something in my face, but <laughs> um, I just I'm, literally, I remember all those days where we're holding her, crying, showering, and right back at her side again. Like it was just for 11 days straight and then constantly expecting her to die. Um, on day Ella, it was 58. She was 58 years days old. The doctors had come to us and had said, you know, are, are we keeping her alive for us or are we keeping her alive for her? And I don't know if I would have been at a place to hear that had I not also been seeing like within her spirit that like she was slowly starting to just kind of step away from her body. Like I no longer saw her in her little body anymore. It was just heartbreaking. Um, so swollen, so in pain. Like anytime I saw her, she was just crying silent tears and She was barely satting like in the 40s and 50s, which is just ridiculous. So, I mean, even if she had made it through that experience, I mean, like the detriment to her brain would have been substantial from not having oxygen for an extended period of time. Um, So Zach and I, we had the very like heart-wrenching conversation of like, do we let her go? And, like, what parent, like, has that in their mind that they need to take their child off the vent? Like, that is so unnatural, and it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching, and I don't think I could have done it if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit, like, coming alongside of me and sharing with me, like, do you trust me enough to sustain her life if you were to take her off the vent, or do you trust me? Like, it wasn't that I was killing my daughter by taking her off the event. It was saying, Lord, I trust you that you could heal her at any given word or moment if we take her off. You know, she's her life is not contended upon this machine. It's contended upon you. Um, so we decided that we were going to bag her and take her down to, they had like this place called the Healing Garden where it was just this beautiful space um, set apart with, you know, um, trees and flowers. It was just, it was beautiful. Um, So we bagged her down and I just held her on my chest and we just connected her. And I sobbed over her and prayed for her. Mm -hmm. And it it was heart wrenching, like saying goodbye to your daughter. But yet I felt like I was taking my first breath for the first time in months for her because it was like she's not in pain anymore. You know, and she 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 was so tired. Like she was ready. and only I knew because I was the one holding her but the moment like I just kind of felt her spirit her body release and said goodbye and that this huge wind just came through and literally knocked almost everyone off their feet like it was just like it was insane of just the entrance that her spirit had in heaven. like it was so powerful um so from there on I I went through months because Emory we still had Emery. Emory was still in the NICU of battling severe depression and grief of losing my daughter, but yet still having to show up for cares and pumping and taking care of Emory. And she reached a point where she needed um, more extensive care than what the hospital could provide for her, our first hospital. So we were transferred to Phoenix Children's um, for a few months. That's where she received her trach. She received her. She also had ROP surgery because her eyesight was terrible from being born so early and all the oxygen she was on. Um, So we were there for four months at Phoenix Children's, but it was very clear to us during that season that the doctors there, they were consistently like battling each other's orders. Like it was never consistent. Like we could just never get solidarity for her and like, can like, to have her on a vent setting that worked for her. I mean, she was so uncomfortable breathing that they had to put her on like heavy narcotics, like heavy, heavy over, I would say easy, probably over 10 narcotics just to keep this little girl comfortable and knocked out. Um, So I became hopeless because here I am. I lost my daughter. I'm fighting for my other daughter. She's barely making it. And yeah, I'm putting every ounce of effort I have into trying to contend for her life. So then I had a friend who had reached out to me. She, uh, Her daughter had also been severely sick from being born early, and she had moved to Colorado. They have a pulmonary unit here in Denver that has been very successful and world-renowned. And she had seen some of our Facebook posts and reached out and said, you need to get your daughter out of there. Like you need to get help from someone who can, who knows what they're doing with pulmonary. Yeah. So I reached out to the doctors and I said, Hey, this is what we want. And with severe praying and contending, we, we literally were, we took the flight for life um, jet. I think it was maybe 48 hours after asking for a transfer. Like they immediately just got us to Denver So our hope was that, you know, with some help of the doctors there that we could um, get Emory stable and strong enough to maybe be able to discharge from the NICU and then take her back to Phoenix. But over time, we just saw like being in Denver, like how extensive her care was and the team that we had there We're like, we can't leave this. Like we need the support. Um, So me and my husband, we decided we had literally just bought a house back in Phoenix before we left. And so here we are like, okay, we have to move to Denver. Like we have to move here for her care. Um, So we put our house on the market. We're still in the NICU. We're grieving the loss of our child. Um, Emery has all of her complications that I'm trying to manage. I'm at the hospital pretty much full time, staying at the Ronald McDonald house. And Zach is living back in Arizona. So we're doing this long distance. I am a single parent while he is working. Um we sold our house. We made the transfer. He, it was just a miracle because his office, they only have two other offices, I think in the country. And one of them is placed here in Colorado Springs. So he was able to transfer from Phoenix to Colorado Springs, which was amazing that that's just happened to be the town that we moved to for Emory's care. Um, And so it was, We were in the NICU total from beginning to end through Denver for a year and a half. So Emery was a year and a half years old. And through that process, you know, she had chronic lung disease, so she was ventilated around the clock. She's, you know, oxygen dependent. She has some um, delayment because of being born so early and just, you know, having to live in a NICU. It's really hard for a baby to progress in development when they're living in the NICU. Um, she was diagnosed with epilepsy. She, you know, it was just short of, you know, one month before her one year birthday, she started having massive seizures. We didn't know why. So all of these pieces that we're having to work through and it, it was exhausting. It was it, I literally, I felt like my life was put on pause. I had been working full time, you know, had gotten pregnant to all of a sudden, i have a year and a half year old in denver i'm like what the heck happened (laughs) like how did we get here this is this is insane um you know the doctors had come to us i want to say it was september of last year because we were in the NICU still at that time the doctors had said i think we need to start talking about other options for Emery. she's not progressing the way that we want we can't get her on a home vent we need to seriously consider maybe putting her on hospice and end-of-life care. And and my husband just like, no way, like we've fought for for this for so long. And now you're going to tell us like, we've uprooted our lives. She's lost the mother. Like, how could you even ask us to do that? And what was so confusing is that we had been through seeing one of our daughters, Away, Like we saw what that process looked like, but yet like, and we knew Emery was sick, but that process was completely different. Like she still had so much life in her. Like she had really good days where she was so happy and smiling. I just could not picture that like giving up on her in my mind. So we said, absolutely not. We went through the process of firing that doctor who was a world renowned doctor. We said, no, thank you. Um, we, If you're not going to stand beside our daughter and hope that she's going to live, then we don't want you on our team. I don't care what credentials you have. Um, so then another doctor took his place and he came in and I will never forget it. Um, Emery and I were on the floor and we were playing and he says, I know you've had some conversations. I'm not here to have those same conversations. I know you want your daughter to live and I'm here to fight with you. Let's get your daughter home. Oh, goosebumps. Goosebumps. Like he, I mean, he had, was sitting on the floor with me playing with her, you know, and it just, it, it, spoke volumes to me that he, he got on our level and he understood and he said, I'm going to fight with you. And because of, I literally, I seriously think it was because of his tenacity and his agreement that Emery was going to live, that Emery then a week later made it successfully onto the home bench. Wow. She just took off. Like she, they talk about how babies round a corner (laughs) and then they just they round that corner and all of a sudden they're better you know and I'm like I hate that like (laughs) I need like I need some solid like like what am I looking for here Yeah. (laughs) um but she did she all like it just was was like she got this gust of wind behind her and this this power of like I'm gonna get better yeah For a week she was on the home vent and I think the NICU was just like, get this baby out of here because she's been here for so long. So, I mean, really probably we should have been in the NICU a lot longer, but because she had been on the home vent stable for a week, they were like, get her up to ninth floor, which is ninth floor is like their training program for ventilator (laughs) kids to be able to go home. So that was October of last year. And we got to go up to the ninth floor and it was just amazing. Like it's so weird. The differences of ninth floor and an icu setting because you have like a big wooden door that you get to close on the world like you're not sitting behind those glass like fishbowl doors yeah. anymore like you get to like have some privacy and all of a sudden i closed that door when we got up to ninth floor on the first day and i remember thinking and looking at emory i'm like she's my baby it was incredible so emory she was up on the ninth floor for it was from october to early December. And she came home for the very first time after 510 days. Wow. You and in the hospital. And she was our early Christmas present last year. She um, got to spend her for fir- her second Christmas here at home. Um, it, it was it was terrifying and exhausting because I became one person. Me mom became every single one of her medical staff providers. You know, I was her doctor, I was her nurse, I was her RT, I was her mom. It was a lot, it was a lot. But at the same time, I just kept telling myself like, you have prayed to get here. Like right. this is, this yes. is an answered prayer. So I, I would have to step back from that exhaustion and say thank you, you know, like, just be so grateful that that I had her because I, I also know the pain of, of not having a baby home, you know? Right. That I had to walk away from in the NICU. And that's just uh, heart-wrenching either way. There is no easy journey going through the NICU in the hospital. Everyone is so different, but it is it is never easy. I have met so many amazing families. um, that was that was really my saving grace was meeting families that had been through it, that had gone through it and understood and just cried and you know, contented and it was so great to be able, you know, if you had to leave the NICU, just to know the mom right next door was not going to be leaving and say, keep an eye on my kid and I'll keep an eye on yours. And just have this camaraderie that you don't have in any other experience, I think.
0: Uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, like I said, watching your journey like on Facebook and seeing you be open and vulnerable about those things that yeah. I'm exhausted, right? Like I'm tired, but. Here's the thing. There's always somebody who's praying for your situation. And if you can think about that, and I would think about being in the NICU and having a baby on the ventilator. And I would think there's a mom that's leaving without her baby. Like if anything, like she'd be begging for another 10 days or 20 days with her baby. Right. And so as hard as it is, it's, it is taking that, that moment to have some gratitude and to think, God and to, and to see that there is blessings in, in all of this. So, so give mm-hmm. us, I mean, you have walked through it all, right? You have done, you know, if you followed my journey, I know a lot of people have that you, you've walked my journey and, and you walked the NICU mom that gets to leave the hospital with her baby's journey. So you've walked both of these journeys, and there's a lot to that, you know, so much more than what we can even spend the time talking about here. But if you were to speak to the NICU mama right now, who's sitting in that chair next to her baby, not wanting to leave, totally exhausted, what would be some of your top tips or the things that you wish you would have known? What would be those things that you'd want to say to that mom right now?
1: I think the biggest thing is, you know. As a mom in general, we have a lot of mom guilt. We have a lot of, I wish I could be more, I wish I could do more. I think especially in the NICU, that was kind of my internal processing was I want to be able to be here. I want to be able to do more, but yet my body and my mind were just screaming for to be taken care of, you know? So I, I honestly think what I needed to hear in that space is, it is okay. For you to be exhausted, it is okay for you to be so sad. You do not have to push yourself into this place of of trying to pretend to be something you're not in that space, whether that's for the nurses or the doctors or for your friends or for a spouse. Like, if you are heartbroken, like you get to be heartbroken and you do not have to change that for anybody. Um, It is so important to validate your experience, because what you're going through is one of the, it is the hardest thing, the hardest thing. And not a lot of people will understand that, but in your space, it is okay to feel everything you're feeling. And, you know, I think it was a godsend that I had people I could depend on in the nursing. You know, you have your favorites. I, I picked some nurses that I I knew in the bottom of my heart loved my child and would, take care of my child so that I could go to Ronald McDonald and I could shower and I could sleep and I could watch junk TV you know like that's just what my heart needed I needed to be able to decompress in any way possible and I think there's a lot of shame because for me like that was in food that was in TV and then any other experience of life like I would have that would have been depressing for me, but it is what I needed in that space and that is okay, you know, whatever it is that you need during that space to just get through it. It is okay. And I think too, like Having my spouse having my husband. I mean, there was some really hard days where we just butted heads because we were doing this. He was playing one role and I was playing the other role. But knowing I could depend on him at any moment, I could call him and just lose it. And he like accepted me. So we really worked on our marriage. Like at least, I mean, we still kept date night, even through the NICU. We just, even if it was sitting down for 10 minutes at a coffee shop across the street or going for a walk around the hospital, like we just were really intentional about we need to spend time alone together and get on the same page and talk and hear each other's hearts and if it hadn't been for him like i really don't know how i would have pulled through that season you know so i mean i know that's a lot but i think more than anything just having understanding and empathy for yourself because what you're going through is so hard.
0: yeah self-awareness is so valuable because it's again you're being thrown into a place where it's a new world you don't know what to expect and depending on your situation you don't know how long you're going to be there you don't know the extent of the medical care you don't know what's going to happen when you leave the hospital and so self-awareness is so powerful to to understand what you're going through and how you're dealing with it and what you need to do to express those th- things and it's different for everybody at times but i do think there are valuable th- or things that most people could generally use in the nicu you know i think what you just mentioned too is powerful and i'd love to touch on that for a second is having that primary group of staff that you can go to and that you know i remember having that primary nursing group just a few of them because i was so particular you know but just a few where i said i knew that i could call them and i could vent to them i knew that i could call the nicu and and they weren't going to make excuses they weren't they were going to listen to me and that was one of the biggest shifts for us in the NICU was when we decided to have the primary staff and create this group that we were like, these are the ones that they need to be with our baby like every day if possible. And if not, then it was very random that there was a different nurse taking care of our baby. And that was so incredibly helpful. Even still going through a lot that was for me, I felt like that was necessary. And so when we did transfer to another NICU right away, I need primary staff. Like I need to find the ones that I that I really get along with and that I can communicate with. Because our parents in the NICU, our verbiage and communication is very different than mm-hmm. the hospital staff, nurses, and doctors. And we need to be able to express that. Like they don't really, I mean, they, they've they been trained, but unless they've been a NICU parent, it's really hard to say, I can completely understand what you're going through. Right. Because it, it, it just is different worlds. And the same with us, you know, we're not trained as NICU nurses. And so we don't know that that, you know, what that looks like for them either. So having that communication I think is so powerful. Did you when you were I mean, you had five hundred and something days, oh my gosh. And so
1: something <laughs> <laughs> crazy when you said that out loud. You're like, that's that's not okay. That's not all right. <laughs>
0: and i knew it was over a year but i didn't realize it was that i mean a year and a half my goodness but um so are were there things like that that you were able to do where it kind of brought a little bit relief to the situation yeah um i think the biggest things for me were
1: getting outside like even just for a second like just being able children's is amazing in colorado where they have just like this little walking path right out front of the hospital and I, anytime I was having a hard day, would go on a walking path, or I would text one of my girlfriends and say, hey, do you want to do lunch today? And just, like, being able to both get out at the same time, and having somebody who just understands you. Um, Like I said, sleeping, going, if I had any spare time, it was showering, eating, and sleeping, and then heading right back into it. Um, Occasionally, my husband and I, we, I think, on Mercy's anniversary of her passing for the one year um, we took a trip to Estes Park which I would have normally never done but because of just where we were at in the anniversary and what it meant to us I, I I was really intentional to try and always bring hope into Emory's room and I knew on that day I needed to be able to care for mm-hmm. my heart because I didn't think I could bring hope into her space on that day. So my mom flew out and took care of Emory for that day and allowed Zach and I had to go to Estes Park and take a hike and get outside and breathe and have a meal at a restaurant. And um, I know not everybody can do that, but I think it's really just knowing your heart and what speaks, getting your nails done, going to the salon, getting your hair done. Like what I did with Rinda that was amazing. That was such an amazing experience just to be able to step away. And because I mean, literally it probably been two years since I'd gotten my hair done, let's just be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, and then I also got a facial that day. It was just amazing. So yeah. whatever you can, and that's an amazing experience that you offer. Yeah,
0: that's so great. Thank you. Yeah, that self-love is so important. It's just we're the last, you know, and in that mm-hmm. moment, we're the last to take care of. So I know you touched a little bit on this too, but I do think it's really powerful. Again, um, you know, not everybody is married in the NICU, but yeah. how what is in you kind of touched on it? you said the date nights you guys continue to keep up with date nights but you again you transferred to a different state without your husband so there's some long distance communication in there i mean this is what i love about your story there's so many pieces to this like i feel like i could interview you probably three times just to get it all right, right you know yeah yeah but there's there's so many pieces and and how what is one tip that you could give just the one um like i said you already said date nights but for how the parents can be better to communicate with each other or whether it's just something that you think helped with your marriage and your relationship in that moment. Because again, you're putting stress on every single part of your life. Not just that you're in the NICU and yourself, you're putting stress on your family, you're, pu- you're putting stress on the marriage, you're putting stress on your yourself, you know, there's a lot of pieces there. So what is one tip that you could give that goes just to the parents?
1: Wow, um, I honestly say, and one of the biggest things that Zach and I have found is, it's different when you're in that space. If you're in the NICU right now and you feel that stress on your marriage, I on and you maybe are doing it long distance or you know your shifts in the night because one is doing one shift and the other is doing the other. We had the consistency of where I would call him or he would call me every morning and every night to say good morning and good night, you know. If we weren't able to see each other or spend time with each other, we just made the effort, you know, to FaceTime or to call each other once in the morning and once at night to say you're my priority or my priority and I love you. You know, yeah. and we're doing this together, and it's very simple. It could be a literally a minute phone call, but just reaching out and not shutting that person out, and just buckling down and waiting for them to respond to you and pursue you, but just having grace for each other. Of, I love you. Good morning. Good night. You know, and that, that really spoke a lot for us in that space. And after after now being out of the NICU for parents, you know, who are maybe, who have come through it, and but are still struggling, the biggest piece that has been so helpful for us has been therapy. We've gotten, we've plugged into once a week therapy now for a few months, just to really talk through the things that we've seen and the things that we've experienced, because we experience things very differently as husband and wife, and male and female. Right. So, being able to have that mediator, someone in the middle who can really hear you, um, and bring you guys and tie you in together to help you understand each other—it's it, been so powerful. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. It's interesting that you say that because when you're in that moment, you're going through the NICU. It's like your mission is to get through the NICU. Your mission is survive, survive. And when you come out of a survival situation for whether five days or five hundred days it's a different experience. And it's self-awareness again, to know that now I'm putting myself into a different spot, you know, going through struggling with a baby and going through losing a baby. And then what that looks like a year down the line, it's all different. So different. different. And the relationship the things that come up in the relationship, things that come up mentally and personally Mm -hmm. are different. And having that self-awareness, you know, like, so the fact that you're, being open and vulnerable saying we're doing therapy now outside of the NICU this many months later is powerful. And that you guys are aware that that's something that you need to continue to strengthen your marriage. Um, We all know, I mean, that's another topic, right? Marriage is just, it's (laughs) it's challenging on its own. And to be thrown in this world. It is, it's tough. So, so I give it up to you. And like I said, I love watching you on Facebook. I love when you post and you're so open about things. You're, you're the caretaker. You've got your, your setup at the house. Um, you know, it's so cute seeing little Emery in her little glasses. It's just so fun. And to me being, you know, a Trake mama with a baby that did pass away, I love seeing that. Like I love seeing your baby with a trach at home and no matter how difficult that is for you, I send you love and prayer all the time because I know mm-hmm. that again, it's a mom that could be praying for that. Mm-hmm. It may not be the, the easiest situation, but it's, you have your baby and she's home Absolutely. with you and, and you have to spend that time with her. So, yes. so I love, watching you in your journey um, and, and just everything about it. So if there's one thing, the last thing I want to ask you right now to share with our audience is what is the greatest, and I know this could be deep, so you could take a second to think, but what is the greatest gift that you believe you've been blessed with going through this entire journey with both of these babies? What's the greatest gift that's come from that?
1: Wow. <laughs> Wow, I think the greatest gift I've received from it is really I honestly think I have learned to love myself and I've learned to love my child and someone outside of me unconditionally, truly. I mean like it's been tested and tested and tested and time again. I I show up for her, I love for her and Um, I, I, of course, anybody who has a baby is going to love their child, but like, I feel this extreme deep connection with Emery because of everything that we've been through. She is the only other person who knew her sister as well as I did. You know, there's just this tie between us that I understand her and she has so much of my spirit within her spirit that I just, I see it so clearly. Um, so, and she's just amazing. So truly learning to love, and she just brings so much joy into our life. I mean, she, to see everything she has gone through and to always come up on the other side, she's a miracle. I mean, I, I've really got to witness a miracle for a year and a half, you know, it's just, it's been incredible. Um, yeah, I, as hard as it has been to get here, I know that every single one of the obstacles and pain and heartbreak we've faced have gotten us here, and I'm, and I'm so thankful because it's made me stronger, and it's made Emory stronger, and it's made our family
0: stronger. Oh, so amazing. Yeah. It's like just every mom is going to give me goosebumps, and I'm going to have to hold back <laughs> from crying. <laughs> the level, it's just, it's so deep. Like, even though it's an answer that, you know, you could hear time and time again, it's so deep and I can feel that from you. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thanks for having and, me.
1: Yeah. If you guys are interested, I know that Rinda has an amazing um, podcast, but I also, I blog, uh, my blog is streamsofmercy.blog and it oh. just is, a snippet of our day-to-day life and the things I'm learning as mom, as caregiver, as walking through depression is, you know, so many different facets of life that I just pour myself, my soul onto. So if any mamas just need something to read while they're sitting there, and then if you can check out streamsofmercy.blog.
0: Okay. So say it one more time. I think it kind of cut out streams of um, mercy. Yeah. yeah blog is,
1: is the site that you can go to.
0: Blog. Okay, so I will link it to the podcast as well. And thank you so much, Kim, for being on. And we just, you know, want to say to all of you, Nick, you parents that are out there, just know that you are amazing parents. I think that again, as as you can see through all of our episodes, it's reoccurring that you're going to challenge yourself. You're going to challenge you as a mom. You're going to be challenged as a parent, as a dad. And we just want you to know that you are amazing and you are doing your absolute best for right now, what you've been given in this life. So please, by all means, know that you are loved and we just want to be here to support you. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out. You can find us online. You can find our podcast. You can make comments on our Facebook page or send messages as well. So again, thank you so much. And we send so much love and prayers to you and your baby for perfect health and healing for you as well. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with anyone who you think may enjoy it. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Presley's Purpose, as well as our website, presleyspurpose.com.